Chapter six of the Garden of Folly by Stephen Leacock. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six The Perfect Lover's Guide or How to Select a Mate on Sea or on Shore our progress through the garden of folly having led us to view the follies of the mind and body of failure and success we are now brought in sight of the supremest folly of all the most ancient and the most modern the folly of love we suppose that even the dullest of our readers and we are speaking with emphasis will sit up here and give evidence of something approaching to an intelligent interest indeed we may say that we have been induced to make up this part of our inquiry in response to a wide public demand the only reason by the way which induces us to do anything we therefore propose to construct in condensed form a sort of lover's guide or manual of love preface on the importance of selecting a wife few people appreciate at its true importance the selection of a wife one has only to look at other men's wives to realize how carelessly they have been selected a great many of them are too small others are too large others again while suitable as to size are of poor quality with others the coloring is imperfect or easily washed out in short if a man desires to select a wife of the right size and shape of good color and wearing quality one that is washable and will not bleach out in the sun he must be willing to devote time and study to the question many a young man admits after marriage with regret that he has selected his wife too rashly that if he had used an intelligence test on her he would never have taken her that he thought she knew things that she doesn't know that her sense of humor is away below his standard that she can't play poker and that he would like another pick for such young men there is no hope to be given their choice is made but those whose selection is still to be taken we would advise to be warned in time and to study the whole problem of selecting a wife with the care that it deserves at what age should a man marry our first inquiry then is the age at which a man ought to turn his thoughts towards marriage the law of the state of new york and of many other states and the common law of england on which these laws are based all assign as the age of marriage fourteen years for a man and twelve years for a woman but we are against this we have a feeling that it is too soon a man of fourteen still lacks something in breadth and even in height we doubt if his character has reached the maturity that it will have at sixty similarly a woman of twelve is still in a way indeed in a whole lot of ways undeveloped she has scarcely seen enough of life to be able to select a mate with the same certainty with which the shipping companies pick them we are informed it is true that the hindu women are married at twelve years of age but on this point we can only refer our readers to the hindu edition of our manual western women at twelve are not yet formed the wise young man will wait until they get bigger anyone who wants one of those little wee hindus is welcome to her at what age then should a young girl or a young man begin to think of marriage we are not prepared to indicate any precise moment in life but there will come a time in the life of any of them at which new aspirations and new wants will turn their thoughts towards marriage 
when a young girl begins to feel that she wants a house of her own a large one with a butler and a chauffeur and two motor-cars and a box at the opera then the time has come when she must seek a husband her father will never give her these things so too with the young man the time comes when his surroundings begin to pall on him when he ceases to care to spend his evenings with billiard markers prize-fighters and dog-fanciers when he begins to want to pass his time with some companion softer than a prize-fighter and dearer if it is possible than a dog-fancier then we say and we say it emphatically the young man ought to get married what young people ought to know but stop before the young man or the young woman can take any steps in the direction of marriage they must first fit themselves for it all the manuals on the subject are united on this young people must not be hurried into matrimony until they have an adequate knowledge of a great many things that it will be essential for them to know in married life most important is it that our young people should have a proper acquaintance with the laws of health a knowledge in short of their own bodies the young men and women of our present generation in spite of the existence of the admirable little manuals of dr snide dr snoop and others are painfully ignorant of their own bodies we ourselves met a girl the other day a great big one not a little hindu who didn't know where her esophagus was apparently she had been going round with her esophagus for twenty years and didn't know that she had one inquiry showed that she was also ignorant of her diaphragm and what it did for her and knew nothing of her cerebellum except that it was part of her foot this girl charming as she appeared externally we went no further than that was obviously unfitted for matrimony indeed we should strongly advise every young lover to see to it that no girl suffering from ignorance of this sort is wished upon him the lover should first elicit by a gentle questioning just what is the state of knowledge of his prospective bride he may frame his questions with a tenderness calculated to allay any possible alarm such as oh, whisper to me darling what do you take to be the primary functions of the liver or tell me dearest what are the premonitory symptoms of coagulation of the head if the anxious lover does not feel in himself the ability to elicit or to impart this knowledge without help he may very properly call to his aid the services of an examination paper as set in any medical college in this he need only insert a few suitable terms of endearment and the aim is achieved at once his questionnaire for example might take this form one indicate as briefly as possible darling the location and functions of the sebaceous glands two tell me in your own bright way the names of the bones of the head and then give me a kiss three what do you take to be the premonitory symptoms sweetheart of locomotor ataxia and what would my darling do if i got it but it would be greatly to be preferred that no such test would be necessary we should advise for every young girl who is thinking of marriage a proper course of preparation we would suggest that she read first of all gray's anatomy supplementing it with archibald on the diseases of the bones to this she might add adame on pathology todd on parasitology and any standard text on locomotor ataxia 
if in addition to this the girl has learned something of sanitation of the elements of sewage and the disposal of garbage she then becomes one with whom any young man would be proud to share his home especially the cellar and the plumbing nor should the youth himself be ignorant his body of course he must know from a to z he should be able to tell off-hand how many toes he has the location of his ears the number of vertebrae in his spine the measurement of his facial angle the spanel content of his skull and the width of his mouth these things go without saying but in addition to this no young man should hurry into marriage without some acquaintance with the world and especially with business and money we met a young man the other day we are always meeting them when we least expect it hoping to get married shortly and yet absolutely ignorant of the federal reserve system and the composition of index numbers and the rise and fall of the exchanges we at once put in his hands gustav castle's arithmetic of the exchanges and professor j m keynes's incubation of a monetary standard we were just in time he decided not to get married courtship its conduct and its etiquette but let us suppose these preliminary difficulties overcome imagine our young people as having reached the age of marriage and properly equipped with the necessary knowledge for this marriage state what next there follows then the period of love and courtship admittedly the most blissful phase of human existence the young lover though he has selected his mate has not yet ventured to declare himself he is filled with hopes and fears with alternating exultation and despair at one moment he is in the heights at another he is in the depths he goes away up and then away down he oscillates to and fro at one instant he is hurled forward at another he is shot backward at times again he is whirled sideways and thrown edgeways or left sticking wrong side up how must the lover conduct himself during this period of violent emotion how must his time be spent what can he do to absorb the terrific shocks which come at him one after the other we have no hesitation in answering this inquiry all the authorities on the subject are agreed upon the point the young lover must spend his time in immediate communion with nature fleeing the crowded haunts of man he must go and bury himself in the forest there in the heart of the woods he must lie prone upon his back looking upwards at the sky and thinking what a worm he is or he must climb to the height of the mountains and stand upon a dizzy crag letting the wind blow through his hair while doing this he must reflect how little it would matter if the wind blew him into fragments and carried him away in all weathers he must sally forth he must let the storm buffet him he must let the rain beat upon his brow he must take crack after crack of lightning right on his neck just why he must do these things we are not prepared to say but we know that only in this way can the lover get himself into that attitude of humility and ecstasy which can make him worthy of his adored this course of conduct having been admitted by generations of poets and lovers to be absolutely compulsory we venture in our manual to simplify it a little by reducing it to a routine in this way the young lover who might have had some doubts as to where and how to begin can undertake his duties in a systematic way schedule of the perfect lover's day 
five thirty dawn rise from a sleepless night six o'clock lave himself in a running brook or if this is not possible put his head under a tap six thirty to seven thirty crag work on the hills eight o'clock push aside his untasted breakfast eight thirty to twelve lie on stomach in long grass in meadow poring on a book twelve noon returning for a moment to busy haunt of man or crowded mart that is to say going downtown catch sight on the street for a moment of adored object and at once twelve thirty beat it for the woods twelve thirty till dark in the woods alone with nature penetrating to the heart of the woods go and sit in frog pond making a sound like a frog eight thirty to nine thirty for one brief hour be with adored object the outside world will see him nothing but a gentleman friend taking a lady friend for a ride on a street-car but really the buffeting and the oscillating and side-swinging is going on all the time just the same ten p m a dash for the open get out under the stars count them wonder whether they are looking down on her also twelve midnight retire to sleepless night but before starting it throw the casement wide and let the cool night wind slap his face we not only assert that we are willing to guarantee that this line of activity systematically kept up for a month will maintain the lover in the condition proper to his business he will be brought nearer and nearer to the point at which he will stake his all on a proposal of marriage but meantime before we permit him to take this last step it is proper to consider the conduct of the object of his affections what is she doing how does she take it is she swinging back and forward up and down and being impelled sideways in the same way as the young lover not quite for the young girl the first dawn of love is a period of doubt of hesitating of gentle fluttering to and fro she needs guidance like a dove about to spread its wings on a far flight she would fain ask herself whither this flight must lead what sort of a flight is it going to be nor is she willing to confess to herself that love has yet come to her she does not know whether what she feels is love or is something else her soul shrinks from the final avowal in this position the girl needs beyond everything else advice and fortunately for her she can get it in earlier times she was left to commune with her soul in the dark now she is not all she has to do is to write to any reputable saturday afternoon edition of a first-class paper and she could get advice and information suited to every stage of her incipient courtship each letter in which her timid soul reveals itself will be not only answered but answered in print in a way calculated to gratify her whole circle of friends we need hardly say therefore that in preparing our manual we have devoted very especially attention to correspondence of this sort we have endeavoured to reduce it like everything else to a systematic or general form to make it as it were a type or pattern from which the young girl seeking our aid and we welcome her with open arms when she does it may find complete guidance we append here one little series from the many samples of correspondence that might be offered the details vary but the essential ideas are always the same 
and we draw attention especially to the way in which the tender hesitating nature of the young girl is brought under our guidance to a full knowledge of herself in fact what we couldn't teach her isn't worth knowing the tangled problems of love as straightened out in the correspondence department of our manual letter number one from our correspondent miss lucinda lovelorn to ourselves by the way we named her we know how to pick the names every time two days ago i was introduced by a gentleman friend to a gentleman in a street car yesterday i met this second gentleman on the street and he asked me if i would walk with him afternoons i do not know yet whether i love him as i have only seen him on a street car perhaps you can tell me whether it would be right for me to walk with him afternoons and whether there would be anything unladylike in my doing so if i walk with him is it proper to walk on the left side of the gentleman or does the lady walk on the right side letter number two from ourselves to lucinda yes we think you may safely accept the invitation to walk with your new friend afternoons whether you walk on his left side or his right will depend on circumstances if he has lost his left eye you walk on his right side otherwise you have your pick of sides but remember lucinda that you must let him see from your manner at the very first that your feeling for him is purely one of wholesome camaraderie and nothing further without being cold to him put into your manner just that little touch of hauteur and that suspicion of élonnement that will let him realize that you are a lady in other words we mean don't let him start anything do you get us letter number three from lucinda to us the gentleman friend with which i have been talking afternoons asked me if he might call mornings and also take me out nights i do not know whether i love him yet although he is a good dresser will it be all right if i let him take me picture nights till now whenever gentlemen friends have taken me places evenings mother has been along if i go with this party to pictures do you think that i compromise myself and if it was you would you have mother along letter number four from us to lucinda we have thought over your sweet letter very deeply dear lucinda because we realize how perplexed and troubled you are on the whole we think that you may now safely go out at night with your new friend but remember that in granting him this privilege you must let him know that you have in no way ceased to be a lady it would be necessary for you to resist in a dignified way any undue advances that he may make we would suggest that you carry a tack hammer along with you and if your new friend starts anything let him have it on the bean and by the way let us know what he does about the advances we are always interested in that sort of thing we note further that you ask whether if it was we we would want your mother along no dear we would not letter number five from lucinda to us since i wrote you last the gentleman friend of which i spoke took me out twice nights i do not know whether i love him dearly yet but he is to have an increase of salary from his firm because he is an a one salesman the last time we went out he asked me if i liked lobsters because if i did he knew where they had a good lobster place 
but i said no because i thought that a party respects a girl more if she refuses lobster's gentleman all the time we were out he behaved just like a perfect gentleman and didn't do anything do you think that if he asked me again it would be all right to let him give me lobster's nights letter number six from us to lucinda we are glad to learn that your evening outing with your friend was so successful and it is nice to think that he did not make any wrong advances at all but behaved like a perfect gentleman but when it comes to this lobster stuff you touch on something that we know and on which we speak with the greatest firmness it is not proper for you to accept a lobster unless you have reasons to believe that in giving it he is asking you to share his life the time has come for you dear little girl to be very firm you must ask your gentleman friend to come home with you to your house and meet your mother if he is a man he will do it but if he shrinks from it and offers you a lobster instead then it is clear that he has been trifling with your heart and you must let him go you will suffer a little mal de coeur but so you would if you took the lobster on the other hand if your firmness wins you gain a husband and a home hence our advice is go to it lucinda after we have carried on and concluded a correspondence such as this it is always a delight for us to receive a final letter effervescent in happiness stating that the proposal has been made and accepted and asking what presents and how many presents a girl may accept from a gentleman to whom she is engaged and what is always a strange reflection to us that this gentleman friend with the lobsters is the very same person as the young lover beating it up and down in the woods the same person only seen in different aspects the proposal of marriage but we are running on a little too fast we have run clear over the proposal of marriage the most important the most thrilling item of the whole manual of love in what way we are asking and we ask back should a proposal of marriage be made now we readily admit that the proposal of marriage is most frequently made by direct speech in short by word of mouth this may have certain advantages in the way of directness rapidity and ease of ratification but we cannot but feel that it lacks much in symmetry harmony and all-around completeness we therefore favor entirely the proposal of marriage by means of a written letter this allows the lover to state his feelings so definitely and so finally that a refusal becomes difficult if not impossible for such a letter however it is not wise to rely upon the unaided imagination here again the use of a systematized form is greatly to be preferred the general requirements for such a letter we are prepared to state in the following terms which are based we may say on some of the greatest current authorities in the perfect letter of proposal the young lover should first of all dwell upon the depth and sincerity of his love he should express at the same time his esteem and appreciation of the family into which he hopes to have the honor of entering and in conclusion in a manly and frank way he should say something about his own position in life and his prospects on this basis we venture to suggest the following form dear miss blank blank 
ever since i first had the honor of meeting you beside the sawdust pile behind the sawmill at the y m c a picnic on the eighteenth of june ultimate i have realized that i entertain for you a feeling which is different from any feeling which i have hitherto entertained for any one for whom i have entertained the feeling your coming into my life has brought something into my life which was not in my life before you brought it into my life i cannot hope in any way to be worthy of you and the more i think of you the more i despise myself and realize that till i met you i had been moving steadily down but that after i met you i went up and i think that with your help i could keep on going up and staying up since i met you i have also had the pleasure of meeting your mother and your father and i have learned to love and honor them i think your father is too cute for anything didn't he look just killing in that little velvet smoking jacket the other evening my feelings toward your mother are also a matter which i think should give me an added claim to your favorable consideration i myself never had a mother but now that i have seen yours i am in a way glad my prospects in life are such as will at least enable me to maintain you as well as you are maintained now my salary which while not large will suffice to support you and to dress you in part at least which is all i dare ask at present at my uncle's death i expect to inherit a very comfortable personal fortune and it is clear therefore that in order to be in a satisfactory situation i have only to poison my uncle on all these grounds i venture to ask your hand in marriage and to request the favor of a reply at your early convenience to b six o six station b it is hardly necessary for us to indicate the correct form in which an answer to such a letter of proposal should be framed the training in business correspondence now given to all young girls in our secondary schools makes such a composition a matter of extreme ease but we might merely suggest that the normal and usual answer in the best circles runs as follows dear sir yours of the eighteenth instant to hand and contents noted and in reply would say that i accept your proposal f o b this city and will take delivery of goods at any time love and kisses from your loving lucinda the physiology of love while we were discussing above the question of what young people ought to know in regard to their esophagi and so forth it occurred to us that we might append to this discussion a further treatment of the physiology of love we said nothing about it at the moment but we went on thinking about it the topic sounded daring but that wasn't really the aspect of it that we had in mind our notion was and is to use it in a literary way for the general brightening of fiction it seemed to us that modern fiction already owed much to the physiologist and might with advantage go still further in the same direction we were first led to think of this from perusing an up-to-date crime story in which we noticed the following physiological changes to take place in the sleuth hound's face all in five minutes to begin with an impassive mask covered it then a quick suspicion chased itself across it an intense determination hardened it a bead of moisture appeared on it a smile passed over it a gleam of intelligence shot across it a look of perplexity furrowed it a sudden flash of triumph lighted it up 
and then the impassive mask fell on it again these rapid changes of the face are evidently connected with the pursuit of crime if any one wants to go in for a life of crime on either side for it or against it he has to learn to use his face in this way he must be able to harden it relax it expand it at will and if need be to drop a mask right over it like putting it into a garage but it is quite different we have observed with the love story the seed of which seems to be in the stomach in the same romance in which the sleuth-hound worked his face we noticed that a similar lot of physiological disturbances were set up at intervals in the heroine in her case however the symptoms did not sweep over her face which was needed for other purposes they were internal they began as soon as she met the hero and any one will easily recognize in them the progress and the fate of love the series ran like this a new gladness ran through her a thrill coursed through her something woke up within her that had been dead a great yearning welled up within her something seemed to go out from her that was not of her nor to her everything sank within her this last symptom is naturally so serious that it ends the book indeed we notice that when things sink inside the heroine it means that something vital has come unhooked quite different is the case of the hero the strong man with him the operation of the story is all done seemingly with strings with stretching and tension he gets taut and he gets rigid his muscles tighten into steel bands in fact you could easily run a sewing machine off him now there is no doubt that these physiological descriptions are admirable in their realism the only trouble is that they don't go far enough it has seemed to us that with the help of a good textbook an excellent literary effect could be obtained by heightening this physiological colouring and letting it be quite clear just what is happening anatomically and biologically to the characters in the story to illustrate this we append here a sample of such a romance the story is called a physiological philip and it tells of nothing more unusual than the meeting of two lovers in a lane but slight as it is it will do to convey our idea physiological philip a tale of the textbook philip heatherhead whom we designate physiological philip as he strolled down the lane in the glory of early june presented a splendid picture of young manhood by this we mean that his bony framework was longer than the average and that instead of walking like an ape he stood erect with his skull balanced on his spinal column in a way rarely excelled even in a museum the young man appeared in the full glory of perfect health or shall we say to be more exact that his temperature was ninety-eight his respiration normal his skin entirely free from mange erysipelas and prickly heat as physiological philip walked thus down the lane listening to the singing of a blithesome bird occasioned though he did not suspect it by a chemical reaction inside the bird's abdomen a sense of gladness seemed to fill him of course what really was happening was that in the splendid shape in which philip was his whole system was feeling the stimulus of an intermolecular diffusion of inspired oxygen that is why he was full at a turn of the path philip suddenly became aware of a young girl advancing to meet him 
her spinal column though shorter than his was elongated and erect and philip saw at once that she was not a chimpanzee she wore no hat and the thick capillary growth which covered her cranium waved in the sunlight and fell low over her eye sockets the elasticity of her step revealed not the slightest trace of appendicitis or locomotor ataxia while all thought of eczema measles or spotty discoloration of the cuticle was precluded by the smoothness and homogeneity of her skin at the sight of philip the subcutaneous pigmentation of the girl's face underwent an intensification at the same time the beating of the young man's heart produced in his countenance also a temporary inflammation due to an under oxidation of the tissues of his face they met and their hands instinctively clasped by an interadjustment of the bones known only in mankind and the higher apes but not seen in the dog for a moment the two lovers for such their physiological symptoms though in themselves not dangerous provided a proper treatment were applied without delay proclaimed them were unable to find words this however did not indicate see barker on the nervous system an inhibition of the metabolism of the brain but rather a peculiar condition of the mucous membrane of the lip not in itself serious philip found words first he naturally would owing to the fact that in the male as darwin first noticed the control of the nerve ganglions is more rigid than in the female i am so glad you've come he said the words were simple indeed he could hardly have made them simpler unless by inserting the preposition that and restoring the auxiliary from its abbreviated form but simple as they were they thrilled the young girl to the heart obviously by setting up the form of nerve disturbance which huxley has so admirably described in his discussion of the effect of external stimuli on the decomposition of food i couldn't stay away she murmured the text is here a little perplexing no doubt the girl refers to some inhibition in her feet involving an inability to use the great toe it is an obscure malady and sir william osler inclined to ascribe it to excessive alcoholism but she may have had it unfortunately the current of the romance moves on too fast to allow investigation philip reached out and drew the girl towards him then my answer is yes he cried jubilantly to do this he inhaled deeply and then ejected the entire contents of his lungs with a sudden impetus in the dog this produces barking see sir michael foster on animal physiology it is she murmured philip drew the girl's form towards him till he had it close to his own form and parallel to it both remaining perpendicular and then bending the upper vertebra of his spinal column forwards and sideways he introduced his face into a close proximity with hers in this attitude difficult to sustain for a prolonged period he brought his upper and lower lips together protruded them forward and placed them softly against hers in a movement seen also in the orangutan but never in the hippopotamus and with this kiss the affianced lovers wandered back hand in hand up the lane the bird upon the bough singing more blithely than ever owing possibly to the increased distension of its diaphragm End of chapter six